Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, let's read. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by grace you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So God could point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Let's pray one more time. Father, we come before you in this moment. Lord, we want to hear from you, not from me. I'm the vessel. And Lord, I humble myself before you, and I ask that as we look at the text today, that your spirit would speak to us, that you would give us minds that are awake and alert, that you'd give us hearts like a fertile soil that are pliable and ready to receive the word that you have for us today. God, we know that your word is powerful and it will not return into you void. So God, I'm just asking you today to speak through me and just encourage us in our faith today. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you enjoy the reality TV shows such as Hot Rod or Fixer Upper, Flip This House, This Old House? You know, the idea of the plot usually is you get something that's wrecked, something that's dilapidated, something that is in much need of repair, it's ugly, and they usually have the before and the after process, right? And so every one of them kind of follow the same plot. And my favorite one is the Chip and Joanna Gaines one, the, you know, the fixer-upper, this couple in Waco that became uber famous overnight, it seems. And it usually goes like this. you got a young couple that's looking for a house, and they've usually dialed it down to about three choices. And every one of them have one thing in common. They need the Chip and Joanna Gaines touch, right? They're ugly, and they need them to come in there and just tweak them. And what cracks me up, and this is a side note, but it seems like every episode you got a guy that works at like Toys R Us and a lady that works at like the pet store and their budget's 500000 I don't get that. <laughs> Must be a Waco thing. But anyways, I digress. But they get this house, and they, they make their selection. They're like, all right, this is the one we want. You know, and all along the way they're saying, we could do this, we do this, move this wall, do this. And so they begin the process, and we get to join along, you know, over like a 30-minute program and watch the process and the progress of this makeover. And my favorite point, I guess part in most of these, is what I would call the big reveal. And every one of them do this, right? There's this moment when they want to show you the final product, but usually they'll, they'll go back and remind you of the old product before, that's like the board, before and the after. So in the case of, you know, Fixer Upper, you get this huge image that they've printed out, and they, I don't know what the budget would be for that, by the way, but it's got to be huge, right? This huge image of the old house, the before picture, and it's attached to this metal structure with wheels. And at the right moment, the big, right, reveal, they move this out of the way, and boom, there's the after picture, the before and the after. That's what I think of when I read chapter 2. 
So we've been in Ephesians. We're just camping out in this letter for a while, the one that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And it's unique because there's not any controversy that, that Paul's dealing with. He's not dealing with some church discipline, you know, like Corinthians. He's not dealing with heresy like Galatians. It's just a simple demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it affects the lives of those who trust in him and how it should affect us, right? This is a beautiful letter of Ephesians. And what it seems like Paul has already been doing is he's been saying there's a key theme in here, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And what he's saying is if you're in Christ... If you've placed your faith in the gospel, this is what is true of you. And it's like he's given us the after of being in Christ. Does that make sense? So the before and the after, this is like the after. Hey, if you're in Christ, he goes on to tell us all these spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. He says that we are holy and without fault in God's eyes. That he chose to adopt us into his own family. That his grace has been poured out on us. That he has purchased our freedom or he's redeemed us that he's forgiven all of our sins, he showered his kindness on us, all wisdom and understanding. He revealed to us the mysterious will regarding Christ. Um, he, we got this inheritance from God, and he says, on top of all of that, he says, those who have believed in Christ, he's given them the Holy Spirit as a, a down payment, a guarantee, an earnest money, if you will, of the promise that he has made that, hey, you know what? God gives you the Holy Spirit to prove, to demonstrate to you that he will be good on his word. Right? He's going to give us what he said. So Paul starts off with the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And then he goes into this prayer. And it's like Paul's going, I don't think you guys get it. And I can say that sometimes. We as Christians, I don't think we truly understand. I don't think we get it. Looking at your faces this morning, I don't think you get it. Because you should be excited, right? So he's like, hey, listen, I just want, I'm praying for you that you'll get it. I pray that you will grow in your knowledge, not about God, but of God. I want you to know God more. Because if you know God more, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change you, right? And he says, and I hope you understand the, the hope of his calling, the riches of his inheritance. We talked about our inheritance that is waiting for us. Do you know that if you're a follower of Christ, you are his inheritance? And one day he'll make good on that and he'll redeem his inheritance. That's cool. And then he said that you'll experience the power that is to our benefit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, seated him in the heavenly places where he's over all authorities. It's like he's wanting to just unpack that idea of God's power in chapter 2. But before he goes forward, um, he, he kind of goes back. And it's like he pulls the picture out of the before. And they didn't have TV back then. He didn't have the photographs. So it's like he's painting this word picture. Hey, I'm talking about what you are, who you are in Christ. But I want to remind you of who you were before Christ. And so verses 1 through 3 is the before picture, if you will. And verses 4 through 10 is the after picture. He gets back to the after picture of who we are, what the results of the gospel are in our lives. And so um, I, I want to look at that for a few moments this morning if it's okay. And, and it, I think it's important for us because as we've been talking in Ephesians, this idea of just knowing who we are in Christ. We struggle with our identity. And as we're trying to discover who we are and what our purpose in life is, I believe the, one of the parts of, the part of discovering who we are in Christ is considering or remembering who we were without him. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, we just like, I know who I am in Christ, or I believe what they've told me about Christ, but sometimes it's good to remember back the before picture. You was ugly, right? And I was too. Before Christ, it's like it wasn't a pretty picture. And it's good to remember that because it just highlights how much greater it is for those who are in Christ. So part of discovering who we are I believe, is remembering and considering who we were without Christ. And that's where Paul starts. So uh, look back at verse 1. Notice this. It says, once you were dead. 
Um, in verse 2, you used to live in sin. Verse 3, all of us used to live that way. And again, in verse, uh, that, that same verse, I think it's 4, we were subject, we were subject to God's anger. Notice the past tense. He's talking to believers who've placed their faith in the gospel, and he's showing them the before picture, reminding them of what it was like before grace, before the gospel, before this spiritual life. He said, you once were, and he uses the word necros, which is dead, which could mean corpse, but in this case, it is spiritual death, right? And this is traced all the way back to the Genesis story, right? Genesis, God created everything. He saw what he made, and it was good. He creates Adam. He puts him in the garden. He says, Here, here's the garden, and you can eat freely of all of the fruit in this garden, but don't touch the tree in the middle of the garden. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you eat that tree, you eat of that tree, you shall surely, what? Die. And so what happens is, chapter 3, we're introduced to the serpent. He comes along, and he says, did God say you couldn't eat any of the fruit in the garden? Eve says, no, we can eat freely of all the fruit in the garden. We just can't look at or touch or eat of the tree in the middle because the moment we eat that, we will surely die. Satan says what? You won't die physically. You won't die. Here, God just knows that when you eat that, you're going to be like him and you're going to know good and evil. And they're like, that sounds like a good idea. And so they take the bait, or in this case, the fruit, whatever it was. Some think it's the apple. Look at the back of your MacBook. Mm, that's kind of scary, isn't it? Got a bite out of an apple. I mean, that's an ADD moment. So anyways, they, they took and they ate. And what happened? They did not physically drop dead. But they began what we know as a spiritual death. In that moment, they were severed in the relationship. They were dead, spiritually speaking. And the Bible goes on to unpack this. Romans, uh, Paul kind of talks about this a little bit more. In Romans 5.12, um, he says that when Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. And when it entered into the world, it had like this infectious effect. It spread everywhere. And he goes on to say that all of us have sinned, therefore we are all spiritually dead. And that is the case of all humanity is what he unpacks in verse 3. And so he says, once you were, you were dead, you were spiritually dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, your transgressions, some translations say that. And we get the idea there of uh, just a disobedient kid. Like there's this line, don't, don't do it. Hey, I made cookies for the birthday party later. Don't touch the cookies for the birthday party. Mom goes out of the kitchen, you're going, we all done it, right? Especially if it's peanut butter cookies. Crossing the line, and then he says, your many sins, that's like taking it. I'm like completely defying a command of God. And he says, you are all spiritually dead because of your transgressions, your disobedience, and your many sins. And there's this influence. We have this picture of disobedience, and these influencers, um, because we're in sin, and it's like we can't control it, we're under the control, under the influence of three things. First off, he says, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, or some translations say according to the course of the world. Do you know that there's a world system that is absolutely opposed to God's system? I mean, all you got to do is turn on the TV or go have a conversation with someone else that's a believer and, or not a believer, and what they'll tell you is, Shane, why are you all so narrow-minded? You need to get with the 21st century, man. Come on. Things are different now. You guys are so closed-minded. There is a system a world system, an evil influence that is absolutely opposed to the way of God. And we live right in the middle of it. And it influences the world. 
And what Paul is saying is like, you were dead in your transgressions of sin. You used to live under the control, under the influence of the pattern, if you will, of this world. And that's why he says later, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? So he's saying this is the influence that is over those that are not in Christ. They're under the influence of the world, the evil world system. And then he says they're also obeying the devil. Now, who's the devil? The devil is the archenemy of Christ, right? He's the destroyer, he's the liar, the deceiver, the one that was in the garden in chapter 3 of Genesis that lied and deceived and caused this whole mess in the first place. And he has been working for years doing the same thing. And he's at work today. I got some good news for you. The Bible tells of a day, one day, whether you believe in a pre, mid, post, tribulation rapture of the church, there's a time after that called the millennial reign of Christ. And it says of that time that Satan will be locked up for a thousand years. I had someone ask me, does that mean his demons too? Heck yeah, let's get them all. Lock them up for a thousand years of peace. What a great day that's going to be, amen? But for now, he is absolutely influencing a world that is not saved. And unregenerate, he is at work controlling and influencing them. And they don't even know it. They wouldn't ever acknowledge that. Oh, I'm being controlled by, they don't know. They don't have any say in it. It's like they're slaves to sin. Under the influence of the course of the world, under the influence of the devil. And then he goes on to say, um, verse 3, all of us used to live this way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. So there's this idea that there's this flesh, this lust of the flesh, these cravings that we have. And he said that's another influencer in our lives. It's like, not that God is influencing, because James says God doesn't tempt anyone. He's not tempted himself. He doesn't tempt anyone else. But each man, and I would say each woman, is tempted when by their own lustful desires, right? They're drawn away. They're enticed. It's like Satan, all he's got to do is throw the bait. He's like, I don't have to make you take the bait, but I know what bait you like. And he throws the bait, and we're going, mm, that was good, right? And so we start chasing after it, and we take it. And he says, that's another one of the influencers of those who are dead because of their transgressions and sin. They're disobedience. They're under the rule, helplessly, hopelessly, not in control, under the rule of all this Influence, And he says, that's what your life was like. Can I tell you that same thing is true today? If you've not placed your faith in the gospel, we read these words, once you were, but the same thing is true today of those who are not in Christ. They are dead in trespasses and sin. And that's not a very, um, let's see, palatable message to preach today because we want to just say everybody's good, you're good, I'm good, we're all good. But the reality is there is a heaven and there's a hell. And God loves us so much that he don't want us to spend time in hell. And he made a way for us to be made right with him, right? It's like those that just refuse to trust in him in the gospel, he's like, hey, you're dead. You're spiritually severed. You're disconnected from hope, from life, from eternity. You are dead in your trespasses and, and, and sin. And so that's why we say the most important decision you can make in life is what do you do with the gospel? To place your faith in the gospel. Okay, that's the, the before picture the Apostle Paul's holding up as a reminder. All these great things, this is who you are, but let me remind you, you were ugly. This was you. Verse 4, but God. It's my favorite two words in that passage. But God. Against this deep, dark contrast and how wicked and bad and hopeless it may seem, God's at work. And he says, but God who is so rich in mercy. What's mercy? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. You know what grace is? Grace is, is, is getting what we don't deserve. When God shows his, I don't deserve it, but he gives me his grace. That's grace. But then mercy is like, hey, I did the crime, and I'm 
I'm guilty, and so I need to do the time. And mercy says, hey, you know what? I know you're guilty, and you deserve to spend the time, but I'm going to acquit you, or I'm going to pardon you, and you're free to go. That's a beautiful picture of mercy, isn't it? So the condition of mankind is that they're dead in their transgressions and sin. They're, they're hopelessly lost and not in control. They're under the influence of the world, of Satan, and their own evil desires. And God, so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much. How much? The Bible says he loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I said, there's only one way to make all this work, and it's my precious son, and I love this people, this humanity, more enough, I mean, well enough that I'm willing to give my own son to die in their place. That's love. Romans 5 eight says that God demonstrated, proved his love this way to us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul is the one that wrote that. He says something similar to that in verse 5, that even though we were dead, spiritually dead, because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead. Wait, wait, talk, talk, let's stop right there. Let's just dig a little deeper there because that's an interesting thing going on. I want a, a newsflash for you. The Apostle Paul did not write his letter to the church at Ephesus in English. Some of you may not know that, but he didn't do English. It was Koine Greek. And in Koine, and I'm not standing up here like, oh, I know Greek. I don't, it's all Greek to me. I don't know, but I got a really powerful Bible program that helps me dig into some of these words. And it's like a gold mine. You start looking at it, and you're like, wow, I didn't see that before. It's so cool. But in the, the Greek, there's some of these beautiful words that we translate as just like love. We've talked about that before, right? Agape love, phileo love, eros love. All these different words that give us a bigger, broader picture of what is being said in the text. And we just get the word love. The same thing is true of the word life. So watch this. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. In the Greek, in that moment, He's using the word zoe, which means life. It's a state of living, and it's the vitality that we have when we place our faith in Jesus. You are alive in Christ. That's zoe. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, later Paul is going to say, I'm going to ask you to live your, lives, live your life worthy of the calling. He uses the word peripateo, not a pair of potatoes, but peripateo. And so peripateo means this, to live or behave in a specific manner. And what he's saying is, because of what he's done for us, chapter 1, all the way through this, we need to live our lives in a way that kind of just jobs with what he's done, right, worthy of the calling. It affects our conduct, our actions, our speech. That's peripateo. Again, in this same letter, Paul will use another word for life, um, anastrophe, which simply means conduct. And in this context, he's saying, put off your old life. The one that's corrupt, you know. Get rid of that conduct and put on your new life created in Christ Jesus. So we see all these, wor these words, you know, in the background. We don't see it in the English, but you're looking at that going, there's a lot of different translations to the word life. And the King James uses the word quickened. He hath quickened, or he's made us alive. But the word that is used in the Greek in this time, it's only used two times in all the New Testament, is suzopiel. Okay, suzopiel, what does it mean? Well, it's translated quickened or made alive. But the, the, the meaning behind this is, listen to this, to make someone alive alongside someone else with another or others. So to make someone alive but kind of tied to or alongside another, in this case, Paul said he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Stop right there. I got a problem. I got a question. Christ died 2,000 years ago on the cross. And saying what you're saying and what Paul's saying is he gave me life 2,000 years ago 
When I wasn't even a twinkle in my daddy's eyes, I don't understand that. How does that work, right? How does something that happened 2,000 years ago have any bearing or impact on my life today? I'm glad you asked. It's not natural for us, but we serve a God who is not limited to time and space, and he is a supernatural God. And so what we need to do is wrap our minds around what he means when he says, hey, he gave you life 2,000 years ago. That, how does that work? The idea that, you know, we always try to come up with illustrations or examples to help us understand a biblical spiritual truth, and it's not always easy, but one that immediately came to my mind was, I bought a new computer the other day, and I've had this last one for a few years, and I've logged a lot of information in that computer. You know it's ones and zeros, right? So all this information over a few years is logged into this old computer, and it's time to get a new one. So I go down, I got a brand new computer, and I put it side by side with the old one, and I hook it up to a cable, and it's called a sync. You know what I mean? A synchronization, you take one and you hook it up to the other and something miraculous happens. Whatever has happened over the last three, four years of this one MacBook is now the reality of the brand new. It's a carbon copy. It's like the picture, he says, to make alive. It means to do it alongside someone else. And so here's what's happening. This is so beautiful, y'all. An event that took place in the annals of history 2,000 years ago when you and I place our faith in the gospel, it's like God says, let me get my sync cable. What do you think the sync cable is? In Christ, right? And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hook you up to an event, the death, burial, and resurrection of my son, and I'm going to make that a reality in your own life too. You're now alive because he's alive. You're like saying, still, it's 2,000 years ago, dude, I'm still struggling. Let me remind you that Peter said, in 2 Peter, I need to remind you, and he goes back to Psalm 90, that one day is as 1,000 years to the Lord, and 1,000 years is as one day. So from our perspective, we're going, 2,000 years ago, God goes, it's a couple days ago. Like two days ago, my son died on the cross for the sins of the world, and like a, a laptop or a phone that, you know, I logged an event over here, that's no big deal, right? Later, I just hook it up, I sink it, and bam, it's as though it happened there as well. Is that a, a great illustration of what happens in the gospel when we place our faith in him? He says, hey, it's just as though you were there 2,000 years ago and what was a reality then is now a reality in your life. Come on, church, you should get excited about that. The more I read Ephesians, the more I dig, I'm like, why are we so, mm, you know, that's cool. Why, why are we that way? We should be like elated, like, dude, do you realize? Did you know? And we're like, yeah, did you know? Yeah, this is awesome. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and he wants us to, to know him more and to understand the power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. It's available to you. And let me remind you, this is what you were. You were hopeless, but, but God, but God. The good news is the gospel, but God who's rich in mercy and loved us so much while you were dead, even when you were dead, not deserving, he made you alive when he raised Christ from the dead. Oh, man. Amen, Shane, that's good. Hey, thanks, appreciate that. That's awesome. And he goes on to say, it's only by grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ. There's that, that idea there, to raise along with someone else. And seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. We are synced up. God pulls out the celestial sink cable and says, I got some work to do. Boom. 
and it is a reality for those who are in Christ. Paul does this again in Colossians. He said um, in verse 13 of chapter 2, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and the authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Two things. This is the same word, life, that we see in Ephesians. And so, again, we see this picture of alongside with Christ. He made you alive with Christ. The only two times in Scripture we see that. It's so rich, isn't it? And notice this also. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. Remember I talked about in verses one through three, the before picture, how we're helplessly under the control, under the influence of the devil, the course of the world, our own desires. Paul tells us when he was raised and we were raised along with him, he says he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. You know what? I'm no longer a slave. And if you're in Christ, neither are you. That's good news. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The ultimate demonstration of his power was the resurrection of, uh, of Jesus. He disarmed them. He set them free. He sets us free in the gospel. Isn't that awesome? I said, isn't that awesome? I'm going to make you talk. Here's a question. Who gets the bragging rights? Who gets... Who gets to brag? Who gets to take credit? I know some people would like to think, well, you know, I'm a good enough person and God's got to let me in. Maybe they think that there's this set of scales at the end of life and they're going to put our good on one side and our bad on the other. And they're just like, man, I'm a good person. I think it's going to outweigh the bad. I think I'm good. Mm. Who gets the bragging rights? Listen to what it says. All of this because we are in Christ. We are united with Christ. And he says... Verse 7, so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. As shown in all that he has done. What has he done? Go back and read chapter 1. Go back and listen to the sermons over the past few weeks. He's done a lot. His incredible grace, his wealth of grace and his kindness toward us shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ, for all those who are synced up because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? So, who gets the credit? There's a star in this story, and it ain't you, and it ain't me. It's him. He goes on to unpack that. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. So you you hear the gospel, you're like, man, I realize that what the gospel says, and I'm in a really bad way, and and if only somebody could do something to make me right with God. God says, that's good news. I already did it. Before the foundation of the world, I made a way for you to be made right. And whosoever would believe in my son, they're in. Not only are they in, they got a new life. Not only that new life, they've been blessed in the spiritual realms with every spiritual blessing. I, I made the way. He says, when you believed, he saved you by his grace when you believed. And he says, you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Could you imagine the heavenly scene? And all of us are there, and we're standing around going, how'd you get here? I was born into the right family. Oh, lucky you. How about you? How'd you get here? I went to church. Perfect attendance, y'all. 
perfect attendance, never missed. Really? That's awesome. Well, could you imagine the bragging that would go on at the gates of heaven if, we, if it was up to us and we're there? He says, hey, there's no room for boasting from anyone. The one that gets the credit is the one that did it all from the beginning to the end. It is by grace. It is by grace. Some people struggle with that word. They're like, man, you got to be careful with that grace. It's a little hyper. It's a, you, know, you don't want to get people. It is crazy amazing and hyper grace. If you look at the text, God's riches at Christ's expense, one of the acronyms for grace, he's given us all of this in Christ Jesus. And so I'm not ashamed of the grace of God because that's how we're saved, church. Now, some of the, the way I was raised, it was like, man, it's, we understood that, but we put a really huge emphasis on works, too. And they may not preach it from the pulpit, but it was just understood that if you screwed up on Friday and Jesus returned on Saturday, you're toast. I can't tell you how many times I got saved. I can't tell you how many times I got baptized. I was raised in the church. My uncle was a pastor in the church. Shane, you going to heaven? Oh, I know what I did yesterday. And so there's just, can I ask you a question? Is that good news? No, no, that part's not good news. How you, are, you, are you there? I don't, by the hair of my chinny chin chin, I don't know. The good news is, while we were still sinners, right in the middle of our funk and our junk, Christ died for us. And he says this, look, hey, whosoever. You know what that means? I studied that in the Greek too. You know what it means? Ready for it? Whosoever. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The grace of God, the gift of God, the spotlight is on him. He's the star. We are examples of his grace. We are God's masterpiece. And he finishes it by saying, listen, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Do you know that God's got a plan for you? He's got a plan for me? And he's like, what's God's will? I can tell you generally, he says, it is God's will that you grow in your salvation, that you're sanctified. That's his will. But I believe he's got a specific purpose for us too. And I think that we probably should go, hey God, if it's true that you've done all of this for me in the gospel, what do you want me to do? What's my purpose in life? And sometimes you, you, you experience things and you see things or you hear stories, you're like, that just, there, God must have a plan for you. I had a dinner Friday night with one of my best friends in high school, came through town, we met up with them, and I'd heard some of their stories, but he shared with me the story of his youngest son. Youngest son was shot 15 times by a 40 caliber pistol at point blank range, his own pistol. Got in a fight, comes taken away. His gun only holds 11 in the clip, so somebody else did some shooting. There was another gun there. 15 times shot, all of them hit him, and he's still allowed to talk about it. If I could grab that young man, I'm like, dude! I probably wouldn't have passed one shot, right? 15, God's got a plan for you, son. God's got, he must have a purpose for you to go through what you've gone through. God's got a purpose. Wouldn't it be nice to know, hey, God, what is my purpose? Let me get busy fulfilling that purpose. What is it you want me to do? Isn't God great? Isn't he awesome? Worthy of praise? And so Paul, in this before and after, if you will, revelation, he's like, hey, listen, this is who you were, and it wasn't pretty. You're in a bad way. But the good news, the good news is even while you were dead, Christ 
raised you. God raised you when he raised Christ from the grave, and you're with him. You're together. You're synced up with God. An event that took place 2,000 years ago to Christ or to God from his perspective, like that is a couple days ago, totally works with a supernatural God. And he says, those who are in me are saved. God gets the glory, and we got a purpose. And I would just say, how do you respond to that? Well, I said earlier, and I think it's a reality that we need to consider for just a moment. We read this from a follower of Christ's perspective, once you were. This is what you've used. This is your before shot. But that before shot for some may be a reality and a present shot for some today. And if you're here and you've not placed your faith in the gospel, then that description in verses 1 through 3 is a reality for you, and that's your now picture. And that's why we say the most important thing you can do is what you do, to believe in the gospel, because to believe in the gospel is to begin a transformation, right? Through Christ, and he takes away the old. You're a new creature in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come, and it is glorious. And so I would just say this, hear me imploring you and just begging you, like if you have not placed your faith in the gospel, it is as simple as admitting that you're a sinner. God, I, I, I acknowledge that, that Adam started it all, infected the whole human race, and I just was born into sin. And no matter how good I, I work or how hard I try or how righteous I might be, your word says that your righteousness is like filthy rights compared to the standard that it takes to get to heaven one day. So I admit I'm a sinner. I am a dirtbag, right? But I believe the gospel. I believe what your word said about your son and what he did 2,000 years ago. I believe that. I believe he died on the cross to atone for the sins, to redeem us, to forgive us. I believe that. And you know what? I'm, I'm going to take it a step further. and I'm going to pistevo. That's the belief. I'm going to put my faith in what he did. And I'm trusting in him and what he did 2,000 years ago to make me right at that moment. One day when I stand before you, like, how did you get here? Jesus and Jesus alone. Right? Admit, believe, confess him, Lord. I confess you as my Lord and Savior, and I want to trust you for the rest of my life. The most important decision you make is right there. And so I would say, if you're here today and you've not placed your faith in the gospel, can I just tell you that whosoever means whosoever. That means you too. And you're like, man, I don't think God could love me after what I've done. I've got tons of stories for you that would prove you wrong. God is a good God and a merciful and loving God. And as long as we've got breath in our lungs, there's time. Amen? And so if you've not placed your faith in Christ, I pray that today you'd realize that Christian, hey, I'm a believer. Can I see it in your face? We walk around like we're defeated. We walk around like nobody loves us. And if we truly understood our identity, who we are in Christ, I think it would change our outlook on life. I think it would change our perspective when we go through the trials and the tribulations of this life. You know what? It just makes me hold on even tighter to the gospel, to the good news, the hope of my calling. One day I know this world's not my home and I'm going to be with home, at home in glory with Jesus. So bring it on, right? We come to church and it's like, praise him. Like, yeah, praise him. No, like, woohoo, praise him. He's worthy. He's worthy. Father, I thank you for your word. God, if we just spend time digging, reading, asking you for illumination, revelation, Lord, just to show us what we just scratched the surface on with who we are in Christ. And it just amazes me that before the foundation of the world, you had a plan that when Adam and Eve sinned, it wasn't a backup plan, it was before the creation of the world. 
that you were going to make all of humanity right with you through Christ, through the gospel. Now, some might scoff and, and complain because you only made one way. And, well, why is God so narrow-minded? He made one way. God, I'm thanking you that you made a way. I thank you that you made a way for us. That even though we are dead in transgressions and sin, that you made a way for us to be alive, spiritual life and vitality today through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that, Lord, you just speak to our hearts and you would move us to take a step of obedience and trust today. Well, that we would trust in you for the rest of our lives and that as we trust in you, that we would truly get to know who we are and understand our identity of who we are in Christ. Not stuff that we make up, but what your scripture tells us about those who are in Christ, that we would truly understand who we are and God, that would have a great impact in our attitude, our actions, our words, our outlook, our praise. And Lord, we know we can't take credit for it. We know that we can't stand around and brag about how good we are, how worthy we are. None of us are. And Lord, we have to just stop and say, this is all the work of God, and God alone is to be glorified. So, Father, that's what we do this morning. We just bring you praise and we bring you glory. God, we love you. And what can we do that is even remotely worthy of what you've done for us? And we know Paul says, live a life worthy of the calling. What does that look like? God, would you just show us in our own lives, in our own context, what that might look like to live a life worthy of the calling that you've called us to, a life that would be worthy of what you've done for us, that we would live it, and God, we would thrive and become those, uh, those masterpieces that you, throughout the ages, just point to us and say, look at there, look at, look at how awesome my grace is. God, to you and you alone belong the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.